Hi, listeners. Welcome back to Motivate, the Motivation and Inspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Dahi D, and today's guest is Inky Johnson talking about committing to a process. When chasing your dreams, you have to commit to the process. You have to decide that this is something that you're going to achieve no matter what. And it's easy to achieve things when every condition is perfect. And it's also easy to think that when you start hitting walls, it's a sign that you don't need to continue down that path. And sometimes that's true. But often people will quit too soon and miss the whole point. And the point is, when you decide to do something and you commit to a process, there has to be a period of growth. There has to be a period of struggle. There has to be a period of uncertainty. That's the only way you'll actually grow and become successful. You have to put your ego and pride aside, roll up your sleeves, and get your hands dirty. That's the only way you'll be able to achieve your goals. That's it for me today. Thank you all for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And so I usually do work with the children, teenagers, and I ask them one question. What do you want out of this thing called life? Like when it's all said and done, right, when they get through telling you how cute, how cool you are, right, how strong you are, like when it's all said and done, what do you want from this thing called life? Number one answer, I want to be rich, Mr. Johnson. I said, I hope you get it. I said, I hope you go out and you crush it. You make an honest living because if I was coming from under a bridge, I never want to struggle again either. If I watch my mother struggle on the street, I want to be rich too. I want to put food on the table too. I get it. I said, but be careful because it's very easy in life to have achievement and not fulfillment. I said, be careful in life. It's very easy to become a public success, but behind closed doors, you're a private failure, not because you didn't have the talent or the skill set. You had the talent and the skill set, but your talent and your skill set took you to a place that your character can sustain you because you wasn't developing. And so the game of football is so lovely and beautiful for me because I always viewed it kind of like I viewed a stage. It was a platform that got provided that I could cultivate a certain level of excellence if I approached the process of it in the right way. And one day when I stopped playing it, it would be certain things I could extract from it to apply to other areas and aspects of my life to make me somewhat of a decent human being, right? Outside of the fact that I love inflicting violence on people and not getting in trouble for it. Like, I loved every bit of it, right? But when I was young, the expectation where I grew up was extremely low. I was born to a mother at 16 years old. Right? My family tree, I had a grandmother drop out third grade, grandfather dropped out fifth. They had 16 children out of 16, three graduated high school, and one just so happened to be my mother. I was being raised in a two-bedroom home, and there was 14 of us living there. And so when I said I wanted to go to the NFL, it was kind of like, yeah, Inky, we hear you, but the family has a track record of failure. Right? Like nobody has really made it past high school. And so we hear you, but we're really not taking you serious. Outside of that, we can't afford to pay to put you in organized sports. And so the excuses were coming, and I wanted to know if me and my three younger cousins wanted to do it and do it for real, could we be committed to the process of it even when we didn't have the resources? And so just making it to the NFL for superficial, materialistic, it wasn't deep enough for me. My question was always, could I become committed to the process of what I was doing without being emotionally attached to the results of what I was doing? In other words, if I didn't get what I thought I was going to get, can I still show up and be just as dedicated, just as committed, and just as on fire as I was at day one, right? Because everybody knows how to respond when they get what they're supposed to get 
and things go the way it's supposed to go. I think that's the reason the quote says you judge the character of a person not by where they stand in times of comfort and convenience. You judge the character of a person by where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. You got some of the most brilliant people on the face of this planet. When they hit adversity, they can't fight themselves out of a paper bag. And it's not even that they don't have the will. Like, they got it. It's that the perspective about the adversity isn't right. And I firmly believe perspective drives performance every day of the week. How an individual view what they do will always affect how they do what they do. And so I went to my cousins, and they were like, Inc., we want to go to the NFL, but we can't play organized sports. I was like, cool, let's just start practicing in the street. They was like, street? I'm like, yeah, you said you want it. They was like, yeah, we don't want it like that. I'm like, yeah, but if you want it, we could just practice in the street every single night until we get the opportunity to do it on grass. Let's just go light pole to light pole. It's simple. If we want it, we will commit to the process of it. They were like, all right, cool. We started doing it in the street every single day, bloody, scarred up, getting after it, right? Until one night, a blue pickup truck came down the street, and it changed our life. And we're in the street every night. Street lights pop on 10 minutes before we got to go in the house. And a blue pickup truck is coming down the street, and I'm waving the truck by. And I'm like, come on, man, I got a couple moves I want to put on these young jokers before we go in the house. And the guy's driving extremely slow. And he gets out of the truck, and it's the first white guy we ever saw in our neighborhood. Drug dealers are running. They think the guy's the police. Guy's the nicest guy in the world. And he walks over between the game and he says to us, would you all like to play football on grass? I'm like, brother, I would love that. This street getting rough. Right? He said, go in the house. Get your parents. Let me talk to them. My mother was at work. My mother worked a double shift at Wendy's from the time I was a kid to the time I was in college. I went and got my uncle, JJ. I said, will you please come and talk to this gentleman? Uncle said, Sure. Uncle came outside, got extended his hand. He said, hey, man, my name is Trey Hurst. He said, I don't even supposed to be over here. Dropped the kid home after practice a couple blocks over. I was just leaving the neighborhood. I see these knuckleheads playing tackle football in the street. He said, I run a program across town. I think if you bring the boys out, sign them up, be a great opportunity for them, it could really help them. My uncle responded, sir, we greatly appreciate it. He said, but I hate to inform you, we just don't have the money for anything like that at this moment. The coach, without any hesitation, says, I tell you what, you bring them to the park tomorrow, I'll sign them up, I'll pay for it with my own money. I tapped my cousin's leg. I said, man, he hasn't even seen my spin move yet, man. So what type of guy is this, right? And he hadn't seen us play. And the next day, my uncle brought us to the park, and I would soon find out he wasn't just paying for me and my three younger cousins. He was paying for kids all across Atlanta, right? And I was intrigued by it because nobody had ever done anything for us like that. But I wanted to understand what drove him. He had a company, he had a successful construction company. He didn't have to be a little league coach, right? And so I wanted to understand what made you sacrifice for others the way that you sacrificed for others when you didn't have to sacrifice for others. And I'll be in the park 9 p.m. running, right, doing drills, chasing his dream to go to the NFL, mother pulling up, got her car lights on, I'm out there doing the W drill, right, running laps, waiting on her to get off. Right, until one night she said to coach, I can't make it. Can you please take Inky home? And we're riding in this truck and we get to my house, 125 Warren. And I get out of the truck and he says to me, All right, Inky, I'll see you tomorrow at practice. I said, All right, coach, can I ask you one question? He said, Sure, Ink, what you got? I said, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Opened his door, got out of his truck, walked around, stood directly in front of me. He said, Son, I love you. First man to ever tell me love me. He said, what you got, Inc.? I said, why do you live life the way that you live it? 
He said, I'm going to share something with you, and I don't want you to ever forget it. And in the simplicity, it was yet profound. And all he said to me was, as long as you can live your life and make sure that somebody else's life is okay, he said, son, your life will always be okay. And he got in his truck and he left. And he would preach to me every morning, submission of ego, submission of pride. And when he said it in that moment, it made me realize, man, if I can annihilate my ego and my pride, not the pride that I represent my family every day and my legacy is on the line, right, or my career that I'm attached to, not that type of pride but the pride that allows the individual's emotions to overpower their intelligence. The pride that comes before the great fall, like it says in a good book, the pride that comes before the great fall that destroys everything. If I can destroy that and annihilate that, when I face levels of adversity and opposition that stop most people, I will supersede them, not because I'm something special, but my perspective about what I'm going through will be different and I'll be able to process it differently, but most importantly, use it to add value to the lives of others. And when he said it, it, it hit me in such a way to where I love the, the element of football to where when my guys got tired and I could go to them and say, brother, rent my passion if you're not strong enough to possess your own. Like playing on Saturdays, it was cool. But what I miss about the game, I miss the fact that I was a part of something with a group of people and what we were working for was greater than any one of us. I miss that element of it. I miss when we showed up and said, brother, X's and O's don't matter. It's about the Jimmys and the Joes. It's about the people. Right? I missed that element of it. When we show up at 5 a.m. and had to run 131 tens starting at 5 a.m. and guys would get on the line and complain, complain, complain. Run the 131 tens. Come break it down. Complain, complain. Go into the locker room. Complain, complain. And I would say, why come into an environment, complain about being in an environment, but still do the work? I said, if you don't care that much, go home. I said, but most importantly, let's make a pact. Let's never complain about something that we're not willing to change. We're sitting in lockers, and guys are complaining, and they got their own AC unit in the locker. Like, you got your own AC unit. You get brought shoes, right? You got gear. You got a barber. You got a smoothie section. And you're complaining because you're getting put outside of your comfort zone, and you're complaining because something that you asked for, and now you're being pushed to the limit for greatness and excellence, and you didn't know what you signed up for, and so now you don't want it. So it was never about being the greatest and pushing yourself to Now it's about your validation and you getting what you want. And then you see guys start dropping like flies, quitting. Mother sacrificed, worked two jobs to put clothes clothes on their back, food on the table, quit. You see guys say, man, this is what I want. Get to college, quit. And I watched a cornerback one day, and he was about to quit. And I'm like, I'm sick of this. Man, I'm not letting another guy on this team quit while I'm here. And he coming to the locker room, prima donna. He's throwing his gear into his bag, little prima donna. I quit. I let him get done with his theatrics. Turned around, I said, man, tell me you're not about to quit. He said, yeah, ain't come about to quit. I said, why? He said, I can't take the way coach is talking to me. I said, how old are you again? I said, you're not eight, right? He was like, yeah. I said, when did you start playing? He said, when I was a kid. I said, coach wasn't present when you was a kid. When you were a kid, it was about pure passion and pure love for what you wanted to do. He was like, yeah. I said, so this is about validation. This is about when you do what you're supposed to do, you want somebody to say, oh, you did it right. Here's a cookie. Right, yeah, yeah. We can check into the hand and give you a warm cookie. Right, this is about validation. 
right? This is not about preserving your legacy and everything you touch. You do it in such a way that they say, if it's going to be done, that's the way it should be done. This is about when people try to disrespect you and you say, man, I'm not even playing an ego game with you and I'm not letting you put me on an emotional roller coaster. I'm going to still give you excellence when I'm in your presence, right? I can't go to my son's game and I'm mad at somebody because I'm involved in an ego war and I'm trying to cheer for my son, but I'm mad at some. I can't, I can't put forth excellence in that way. It's not about that. Every single day, my legacy is on the line. Every single day, when somebody sees my son one day and he introduces himself, I want them to say, son, you're good because of what your father stood for. They said he asked Coretta Scott King a question years after Martin Luther King passed, and the question they posed to her, Sean, was, why after he died, why didn't you ever remarry? She said it's easy to be an automatic downgrade. And so when I look at a person, I'm like, man, you look great, but is it easy to replace you? Like with the energy and the passion that you bring into an environment, the trip part about life, it's people that's been going away from the world a year. And people are like, man, he's dead. I didn't even know he was dead. And then it's people, if they're not in your presence for 30 minutes, you're like, man, somebody go find Jason. Somebody go find Sarah. Because of the energy and the passion and the zeal that they bring into an environment. The thing that grinds my gears is when you see people, like people tend to complain and not appreciate things until they almost lose them. Or when you see somebody, they show up in an environment and they count the hours and they don't make the hours count. Or you see people and they don't realize somebody that woke up this morning, they're not going to live to see the night. Right? You see it all around. Life is happening. Adversity is happening. And you see people that just walk around, and because of success, they feel as if I can't get touched. Right? They feel as if nothing can happen to me. And I told a kid, son, wake up, call. Newsflash, life touches everybody. I said, I can guarantee you how strong you are, how beautiful you are. I can get, my grandmother told it to me this way. Inky, either you're in the midst of adversity, just came out of adversity, or you're about to head into some adversity. So you better be prepared for it either way. And so I lived my life in such a way, I was telling them about this concept of this book that's called Last Arrow, right, by this pastor. And he was talking about when you do things, don't save your last arrow, right? Don't live life on reserve. Don't go into an environment thinking I'm just going to preserve myself and not give everything I got to it. The thing that saved my life. The thing that saved my life, September 9th, 2006, the third best day of my life, outside of marrying my wife and having my two children. It was one of the most beautiful moments that was set up for this dream that was about to manifest, and it turned into a tragic moment that birthed something more beautiful than it ever, ever, I could ever imagine. I'm in the position to where my dream is about to manifest. I got the paperwork by all accounts that say my dream of being an NFL draft pick is about to happen. It said it, top of the paper set, projected top 30 draft pick as a cornerback. They told me, all your hard work, all you got to do is play your next 10 football games, Inky, you're an automatic multimillionaire. I'm at Tennessee, and there was gravy train. I'm like, man, you get anything you want. And all you got to do is be a person of your word? All you got to do is have character? All you got to do is go to class, you show up, you do your work, you be on time, and you do the things you say you're going to do? That's gravy for me. When I first stepped on campus, they said, what's your plan? I said, it's simple. Graduate in three years and go to the NFL. And I'm sitting in the team room on my third year and watching film. It was two big projector streams. And I'm on track to graduate in three years, and I'm on track to go to the NFL after my third year. And I come out in a silly football game. I've been in a lot harder, a silly game. 
and I go and make one tackle at the end of the game. The game is about to be over. If I make this tackle, the game is about to end. Hour later, I find myself in the emergency room and I'm fighting for my life. Wake up the next day, everything I worked for is gone. And I go back and I trace the day because I wanted to find out, did I do anything that made this happen? Because I'm an extremely, like, detailed guy. I study every facet of things, right? And I went back and I said, man, what time did I wake up? Right? Every Saturday, we wake up at the hotel. I'm like, what time did I wake up? I used to journal. I said, man, I woke up at the same time. I said, man, what time did I do my push-ups? I said, man, I did my push-ups at the same time. And, man, when I got to the stadium, what time did I go out for my pregame drills? Man, I did them at the same time. Even listen to the same pregame music. Phil Collins, I can feel it. That was my joint, right? Coming in the air tonight, right? Listen to the same song, right? And for some reason, when I went to make this tackle, I lost everything I've been working for. Even further, when we broke the huddle, I said to my teammates, I hope they throw it my way. When the play was unfolding and I saw the quarterback aiming my way to throw the ball to the receiver, I said to myself, thank you, God, I got exactly what I asked for. I got exactly what I asked for. And I'm running to make the tackle, and as soon as I hit the guy, something different had happened to me that had never happened to me before in my life. As soon as I hit him, it seemed as if every breath immediately left my body. My body went completely limp. I fell to the ground. I blacked out. It had never happened to me before. When I opened my eyes, my teammates ran over to me. They said, Ink, get up. Let's rock. Let's go. I said, I can't. They said, what do you mean you can't? You always get up. I said, I can't. I can't move. I said, there's a shock going from the crown of my head to the bottom of my feet. I can't feel anything. The shock eventually left, and it stayed in my right arm and hand. They brought the spine board out. They put me on the spine board. They're willing me off the field. We get to the ambulance. My father's standing there. And I say to my father as I'm lying on the spine board, I said, Pops, I got him, right? He said, yeah, son, but I think you got the worst part of this one. They rolled me up in the ambulance. They said, Ink, we'll take you over, run a couple tests. Football, things happen. Sure, you'll be fine. They take me over. They run their tests. They bring me back into a room. My mother comes in, kisses me, says a prayer, cracks a joke. Ink, you'll be fine. It's football. Things happen. She's going to exit the room, and as she steps out, as soon as she steps out, her footsteps coming from the opposite side. When I turn to look, it's the head doctor. He's doing a little light jog, and he's screaming. And he's saying, guys, guys, get in here. We got to rush him back to emergency surgery. He's about to die. And I remember looking at him, and I'm like, man, you can't use another word, right? My brother, use a synonym, like die? Right? He's like, yeah, die. I'm like, like die, die. Away from here, die. He's like, yeah, die. I said, what happened? He said, you ruptured your subclavian artery in your chest. You're bleeding internally. He said, we got to rush you back, take the main vein out of your left leg, plug it into your chest in order to save your life. He said, oh, I guarantee you, you won't be here in the morning. He said, let's go. The next morning I woke up, top three most embarrassing moments of my life. And it didn't have anything really to do with football. Like football, grand scheme of life, football is that big. Like average career in the NFL, two and a half, three years. Like we know it as National Football League. Guys that play it know it as not for long, right? Like careers are just not that long. 
But when I was sitting there, it was like people were coming into my room and they were reading me my eulogy because I couldn't play this game. And I'm sitting there and I got cut six times down my left thigh, one time across the left side of my neck, one time across the right, twice through my right ribs, cut out my right pec, bottom of my armpit to the bottom of my hand, 350 staples, banished me from my neck to my knees. I'm like, man, I thought it was an artery. They're like, yeah, I went in to repair the artery. We noticed you had torn all the nerves and you break your plexus. Your nerve roots that come from your spine, they control your shoulder, arm, hands, fingers. They said it goes into like if you were plugging something up in the wall, it goes into your spine that way. But what happened is at the point of contact, you ripped them all out and it can't go back in. So you had to break your plexus evulsion and you ruptured your main artery. And they said to me, you'll be in the hospital for the next 40 to 60 days. And I grabbed my father's shoulder and I started walking laps around the hospital because I had to get my leg back going so I could learn how to walk all over again. And on the third day, me and my father and my mother was downstairs. We were getting in the university's van. And the doctor came over and he said to me, Inky, you broke a record. I said, what record? He said, the average person from that surgery of that magnitude would be in here 40 to 60 days. He said, you left on the third day. I was like, man, no disrespect. I didn't know I was supposed to accommodate y'all limitations. I didn't know y'all said 40 to 60. I was just supposed to chill and say 40 to 60. And as we were driving back to campus, they said, Inky, we're going to unenroll you. I'm going to send you back to Atlanta. Let you take a break. He said, something traumatic has happened to you. I said, nah, man, I'm not going home. They said, yeah, but you need to take a break and process it. I said, can you please order me a Dunjoy sling and a Velcro strap? I need to go back to practice. I said, yeah, ain't something traumatic. You just need to. I said, I'm not going home. I said, I'm going back to practice with my teammates. I said, I'm going to go back to class this week. I'm going to go to disability services this week. I was right-hand dominant, can no longer use my right arm and hand. I had to learn how to write all over again with my left hand. I'm not going home. I said, that wasn't a part of my contract. They said, what contract? My life contract. It never said, I might graduate unless I get injured. I never said to my teammates, I'm going to give you everything I got until something goes wrong, and then you might see a different version of me, and I might never show up and be there for you again. I never said, I'm going to come to practice unless I get a paralyzed right arm and hand, then I might not show up and I might not come to meetings. I never said to my mother, I'll be the first one in this family to graduate college and break the generational curse unless I get injured and I can't play the game of football. I said, I'm going to graduate. I said, I'm going to be there for my teammates. And so in essence, you got to take my life before you take my drive. I wasn't working just to be a great football player. I want to be a great man. I want to be a great father for my children. I want to be a great husband for my wife. I want to be a great servant in the world. I don't want when adversity or rain comes, I'm the guy, I was great before the adversity, but the moment the adversity hit, I never turned back to true form. I don't want to be that person that's great when everything is going all good, but when something goes wrong, they flee and they want nothing to do with it. I want to be that person that's going to show up rain, sleet, or snow, and they're going to give you everything they got. Right? I was working, so one day when the game of football stopped, my arm and my hand was paralyzed. My mindset wasn't. My arm and my hand got paralyzed. My drive wasn't. My commitment wasn't. Right? I'm talking concrete commitment. I'm talking a commitment that says, I am going to stay true to what I said I would do long after the mood that I've set it in has left. Right? Because character is not something we inherit. Character is something we got to wake up every single day. We got to fight and we got to build it. 
right? In the midst of adversity, in the midst of challenges, in the midst of successes, in the midst of failures. We got to get up every single day and we got to fight for peace, right? We got to fight for happiness. We got to fight for joy. Like I told a guy, I said, you think life just going to make it, give you happiness on the platter and say, I heard you wanted to be happy. Here you go, FedEx package overnight. No. We got to get up. We got to fight for that, right? We got to fight for joy. We got to fight for peace, right? The worst thing in the world is when you see somebody that's amazing, like talented, skill set out of this world, and they don't have any passion. Life has robbed them, right? They're walking zombies. Right? They're just a shell. They get up, they go to work, they do what they do, they come back home, wake up the next day, repeat, do it all over again. Like I asked a guy once, I said, man, what do you love about what you do? He said, well, I go to work, I make my money, I come home, put food on the table, roof over my family's head. I said, that's great, that's awesome, man. I said, but if there's one thing you can point to and say, I love it. He said, nothing, man. I go to work, I make my money, do what I do. I said, it's great. I said, but man, that sounds painful. I said, when you think about the average life expectancy is 77, average person retires around 67. So the average person works somewhere around 50 years to be free for 11. That's a raw deal, right? Like, it means nothing. I just want one thing from people, right? I'm not one of these guys that travel around the world and try to tell people how to do what they do. I wouldn't disrespect you in that way. But I do understand this about life. People don't burn out because of what they do. People burn out because life makes them forget why they do it. Like the passion that they first had when they said, man, I'm with you. I'm going to give you everything I got, whether that be sports, whether that be business, whether that be a family. Right? The drive that they have when they first start something, then life comes knocking. They say, man, I'm going to stay committed to it. Right? I'm going to be a better person. It's like at the beginning of every year. Right? What do people have? Resolution. Then late February, you see them with the cupcakes. Right? And you're like, man, what happened to that resolution? They're like, man, bump that. It's not that deep. Right? I just want people to never allow life to make them forget why they do what they do. Right? To never allow life to rob you of your passion. To never allow life to rob you of your joy, your peace, your happiness. Not only do you owe it to yourself, you owe it to those that you're connected to.